Welcome to the World of Horror Minisode. This is the cute and dorky cousin of the World of Horror podcast, where we talk vintage and vintage-ish movies, and sometimes we have a guest co-host. Hi, Devin. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for being here. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Got a nice little relaxing sat- Saturday. Can't wait to just kick back and, and talk mo- uh, talk movies again. Well, I wanted to ask you actually about your in-person movie experience mm-hmm. for recording this early post-COVID times. Mm-hmm. And I saw on social media that you went to a movie theater and watched a movie in it. I did. I, so th- it was, it was, now this is not my first time back in theaters uh, uh, this year, but it is a first for me in that I got to go to an Alamo draft house for the first time. Oh, nice. Um, I, I travel a lot for work and this week I was up in Charlottesville, Virginia, and they have an Alamo draft house. And I, I got, I checked in to my hotel and I looked at show times and I saw, Oh, Blade Runner, the final cut eight o'clock I'm there. <laughs> and so I got to go see uh blade blade runner in a mostly empty theater. It was like me and maybe five other people. And then um, it's an Alamo draft. Have you ever been to an Alamo? Uh, draft yeah. Before? Yeah. They have one. in um, Yes. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's a dinner theater type deal where you get like waited on and you can, and you order food and stuff. So I had like a, a uh, really good like burger and fries and a couple drinks and and got my Harrison Ford dystopian sci- sci-fi on. It was great. That is great. Yeah, I haven't ventured out into the theaters yet, um, but I was curious, you know, to know like how many people were there and did they behave? But at Alamo Draft House, mm-hmm. you have to behave or you'll get kicked out. They make a big deal out of it too. Like a lot of the the pre-show like videos were like it's like you know. They've they've lifted mask requirements there, but at the same time, it was like the staff was all wearing masks. Everybody was behaving themselves, and and no one had their phone out. They make it a big. They're very very strict about keeping your phone in your pocket, which I do anyway. The first thing I do when the lights go down is I turn my phone off, like like a good boy, like a good moviegoer. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I I went with Mac one time, and I was talking to him. And he's like, Mom, you've got to stop talking. You really have to stop talking or you'll get thrown out. They will, they will kick you out. <laughs> so anyway, why don't we get into it? So, Wohos, this was, we planned this when it didn't look like Quinn and I would be able to do a mini. Then it turned out we could do a mini. But I still wanted to do this because Devin had chosen Paris, Texas and... I had chosen um, Wings of Desire, which are both by Vim Vendors. And so we're going to have sort of a Vim Vendors of Palooza. And um, (laughs) since Paris, Texas came out first, I thought the first segment, we could call our first segment, Half a Boy's Life. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to say, neither of these films could be described as horror, but the the existential existential loneliness of his uh, filmography is its own special kind of kind of horror <laughs> yeah we're a little looser on the minis mm-hmm. you know we just want to make some kind of connection but we don't hold ourselves to the right genre or the international genre but um you're absolutely right i mean they both have you know discuss uh mm-hmm. loneliness mm-hmm. and uh in a deep way so so well, let me before you jump in uh devin what's your relationship to paris texas 
Um, well, Paris, Texas was a film that had always been in my like watch list for years. It was one of those movies for some reason, when vendors was brought up in when I went to film school, but we never watched Paris, Texas. I saw, I've seen the aforementioned wings of desire in, in school. We watched the American friend, which is um, another Bruno Gans, uh, vendors film with Dennis Hopper. Um, but Paris, Texas had always just been one of those movies that was talked about as like, oh, this is probably this is one of his like all time best films. And we just never got around to actually watching it. And then um, I don't remember. This was my second viewing. Um, I don't remember why or when I watched it the first time. It might have just been a random Criterion Channel binge during stay at home times last year. I might have just barreled through a ton of 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 Criterion picks. But yeah, watching it a second time. God, this movie's so good. <laughs> I love this movie. Yeah. I, I will watch anything Harry Dean Stanton is in. And just having him get to really sink his teeth into this this kind of a role is so it's so great. Yeah, I watched I rewatched it too, and um I hadn't seen it probably for well, I don't know, for a long time. Yeah, it's just masterfully done and the performances are really fun. Every every shot looks like a photograph of the American like West, just every there's, there's something vendors is really great at being able to make that like puke green neon look (laughs) beautiful. Like he can somehow turn that into a really like cinematic looking like style. His, his use of color in this movie is insane. Yeah. Everything just looks beautiful and, and, and well shot and well lit. Yeah, I agree. Also, it's crazy that, in in one year, Harry Dean Stanton did both this and uh, and Repo Man. Oh wow! Like two of his most iconic performances in the same year, which was which was amazing. Yeah, so it's what it's eighty four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. I guess heyday for Harry Dean Stanton. We should do Repo Man. Oh yes, next, next time. Should. I love that movie. <laughs> the movie's hilarious too. Yeah. It's directed by Ben Benders, written by mm-hmm. L.M. Kit Carson, Sam Shepard. And then it's got a really great cast. Who are some of your favorite people in the cast? Um, well, obviously, uh, Dean Stockwell, of course. He does a great job. He he really does a good job of... You You definitely... You totally buy that he and Harry Dean Stanton could be uh, brothers. Yeah. they have They have that lived-in feel where they both kind of like... There's... There's... There's baggage between the two they have they definitely have have history and and dean stockwell definitely like his 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 character has got more obviously he's got more uh what's the word he has more of a like a, a head on his shoulders where he has like a successful job he has a, a loving wife he has a well i was gonna say he has a kid but you know, <laughs> we know <laughs> whose kid that actually is the, speaking of which, the kid, uh, Hunter Carson, does a really great job, too. It's rare you see a, a child actor turn in a performance like this. Yeah, he did amazing. All I really remembered from this movie was the part, and we'll get to it, but it's the part where Harry Dean Stanton is asking him for help trying to locate Natasha Kinski's red car. Yeah, that's the only part I really remembered. But the whole sequence at the bank. It's just kind of beautiful and sad and 
tense all yeah. at the same time. All right, well, let's jump into the plot. Yeah. So we open on uh, Travis. And I guess the, he doesn't speak for, I think it's 24 minutes. Like, yeah. Yeah. We merely get this beautiful vista shot of, I guess, somewhere in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we get uh, Harry Stanton just wandering aimlessly through the desert with his suit suit and tie and 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 base baseball cap hmm. with that with that iconic like Rye Rye Cooter score playing over all of it. Yeah, it's really haunting. Mm-hmm. And then we understand that Walt, his brother, has found him, mm-hmm. and that they've been separated for four years. Right. Yeah. yeah, he has he has gone missing for four years. He he gets Travis gets he just stumbles into a bar in like this this dive bar in the middle of nowhere and just like collapses and gets this random this random uh, doctor calls up Dean Stockwell or somehow tracks him down. Yeah, it's like hey, come come get this guy. <laughs> so we don't really know why they've been estranged, but you know. That will be revealed as the movie goes on. They make it back to L.A. Mm-hmm. And um, Travis is at Walt's house, he's reunited with Anne, Walt's wife, French wife, and Hunter, the kid, who's seven, right. seven, eight-ish. Travis's, Travis's kid. Right, Travis's kid, um, mm-hmm. whom um, Walt and Anne have been raising all this time. Right. Well, he doesn't even get back to LA before we get a series of really great. We get we get we get to see sort of Dean Stockwell's struggle to get his brother to one open up to him a little bit to start talking because he's just like at at the, at the beginning he can't keep him in one place. Harry Dean Stanton, if if he left left to his own devices, he just starts wandering aimlessly, finding train tracks and just starts just starts walking down them. He can't. Uh, and then we get these great shots of all these little like mo- motels and hotels that they stay in these phone booths. He tries to get them on a plane and that goes horribly. We get an amazing shot of them literally being kicked off of a plane. Yeah. And he's just sort of Travis is just sort of talking about like, you know, we don't belong in the air. We belong on the ground. And he's just sort mm-hmm. of like kind of talking in these abstract way in this abstract way, just like you can tell he's been separated from society mm-hmm. for a while just yeah. in terms of how he he talks and how he organizes his thoughts and stuff right but then we get the first reference to paris here um mm-hmm. that's the first word he speaks he says paris well of course thinks he means paris france but no he means paris texas mm-hmm. and <laughs> he thinks the family legend is that's where travis was conceived mm-hmm and so Travis has bought up a bit of land in Paris, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. With the with the expectation when he did that that would be where his fam where he and his 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 wife and son would eventually live. Yeah. So when they go back to Walt's house, mm-hmm. it's a little awkward, but it's also very gentle. I mean, Anne and Anne and Walt are very gentle with mm-hmm. Travis, I think. Right. Uh, almost to almost to a fault because you get the feeling like these two were put in this very uncomfortable situation where they're like the Travis and and Jane, his his wife, just up and vanished, and they're 
their kid just shows up one day out there at their doorstep and they for four years they raised him and yeah. now travis mysteriously is back won't say what happened won't say where jane went and and they they, they definitely have every right to be upset like there is a eventually you do get a you do get a, a scene where dean stockwell finally like lets off on on travis he's like you need to tell me what the heck happened mm-hmm. um but even then it's still pretty restrained considering everything that's come before yeah and um with the kid too you know i feel like the kid oh, i don't know how to explain it but there's no there's no histrionics you know it, it, he you can tell the kid is obviously dealing <laughs> with mm-hmm. the reality that has biological father is back right but there's that one part where he is talking to his friend (laughs) and saying that he's got two dads and it's just really lovely and his friend is like why do you have two dads and he goes Mm -hmm. just lucky i guess that's a great line that's a great (laughs) line i wrote i made it i made sure to include that in my notes i love that line yeah so but the kid the kid you know seven eight ish and he's you know, he, he, he doesn't really know how what to make of this, but he is very accepting of his dad. And I think in another movie, there would have been a lot more drama around that. Right. Yeah, definitely. This movie, this movie does so much with silence that any other movie would edit out, like mm-hmm. edit out with, 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 with stock drama, with, there would be, you would have in an, in an, in a normal film, and would be way more like there is pushback from her. There is there is some there is some drama between her and Walt where they're like, why are you why are you encouraging, you know, why why are you encouraging Hunter to be with him all the time? You're you're creating this weird rift between us. But at the same time, it's like that's never played as that's never played for drama. That's never it, it feels natural. It feels like a natural concern of hers. It doesn't feel like you're watching a screenplay like play out. No, not at all. I just was taken by, you know, the tension that Anne and Walt have. Clearly mm-hmm. they love Hunter, but they weren't intending to raise a son. Yeah. And Walt and, I was just gonna say, and and also and also she makes she makes a good point that she was like, what if Hunter's the reason we're still together? Like she makes a pretty she makes a, a, a an argument that's like, hey, I think like what if what if 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 he goes what does that mean for us? Mm. Yeah, that kind of gets you in the heart. Mm. I mean, that I'm sure it's a pretty common thing. I don't know about you, Devin, but I've known a lot of people who, after they go away to college, then their parents split. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. the kid was sort of you know keeping them together. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I think Anne and Walt would probably be okay. I hope so. I do too. I hope so. I hope so. I had never seen. I had never seen uh, Aurora Clement, Aurora Aurora Clement, the actress who plays the wife. Yeah. In anything? Although apparently she's in a few films I have seen. She's in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest and Apocalypse Now. But I'd never seen. I'd never seen her in anything where she's like a a, a leading role. But I thought she did a really good job. And even though she's not in much of the movie, Nat- Natasha Kins- Kinski gets you know. <laughs> two incredible scenes at the end. Yeah, she does awesome. Mm. So Anne tells Travis, sort of on the low, that Mm. Jane has been sending money and she sends it on the same day from a bank in Houston. And that's a pretty big deal for her to tell him that because it's basically giving him a clue 
as to how he can find Jane again. Right. We get a fun little, it almost kind of has like a detective story yeah. like vibe where it's like, well, if we track down where the money's coming from at the bank, we can stake out the bank and we can follow her back to where she lives. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, it really appeals obviously to this little kid. He gets to have some adventure um, with his long lost dad and mm-hmm. um, they take off on this road trip to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I love the walkie-talkie. Um, yeah, the walkie-talkies are, are a nice touch. This film is uh, this film has this film has everything I love, and it's like it's all road road trips. This movie has some. This movie has like at least three different like road trips in, in it that I and and it's it's so great to watch, and it's really fun to just see people. Just you also, it, it's it the nostalgia vibe in this film is is great too because you get to see like early eighties america when there's so many things that aren't there are there's so many things we don't have anymore that's like just like a payphone a payphone is such a great thing to film it just looks great on film that you don't really if you if you try to shoot a payphone now people are like oh that's a cheesy nobody uses those anymore yeah i i went to new orleans a couple years ago and there was a payphone like Mm -hmm. on the street and i just took a picture of it um, I mean, it was painted kind of, you know, flashy colors or whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, you don't see them anymore. It seems like they all kind of disappeared over overnight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it definitely marks a period in, in time, way before cell phones. So they make it to they make it to Houston. Right. Oh, yeah. I love this part where Hunter talks about the Big Bang Theory and how yeah. Earth was formed. Was that improv? That seems improv. Like he was just like Maybe. something. You know how when they have, I don't know if this was the case in 1984 or on a set this small, but when they have child actors on set, they usually have like a teacher or something on set to like just make sure that they're still doing like schoolwork and stuff when they're not filming. Oh, it yeah. seems like some, some, this, this seems like something he would have been like told about or something a day or two ago. And he was just like, <laughs> Just make up some stuff to tell Harry Dean Stanton for the shot. She was like, okay. And then just tells him what he learned. Yeah, I love it. It's so great. It just feels so real. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think kind of improbably, but it's a movie. They um, Hunter does see his mom. And yeah, yeah, he finds her at the bank. Travis has fallen asleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of drama trying to wake him up so that right. they can chase her and locate her yeah travis a, a character who famously in this film doesn't sleep <laughs> yeah hardly ever goes to sleep finally finally falls asleep at the most crucial time <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and um and also even more improbably they're able to successfully track her down they, they're able to follow her car even though there's a big there's a scare where they see two very similar cars yeah, they have to like, and they have to like make a, a last minute decision to see which one to follow. It ends up being the right right one. There's a lot of like almost like near near misses. Yeah, but I guess it had to all come down to Walt and Jane mm-hmm. re- reuniting in a way. <laughs> and um, she works. I don't know what you would classify her job as, but she. I guess it's a kind of sex work, but it's a peep mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. and um, so there's a one way mirror where. She can see herself in the mirror, but she can't see the man who she's communicating with via telephone in the adjoining room. So, and according to Wikipedia, that this is not 
not that I would know anything about these things, but this is not a realistic depiction of what this is like this, this it's a very bizarre setup. And apparently it's also not a, what, what realistic peep shows are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not familiar, but yeah, it's, it, it, it definitely feels it, it has that simultaneous feel of like, okay, this seems a little artificial for the sake of the film, but also it, this, this seems like a, a it, this, this, this could exist. Sure. Yeah. I didn't question it. It seemed reasonable mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. But the first time Travis goes in, he finds her again, kind of improbably. There mm-hmm. are, you know, a number of booths and somehow he finds her. But not before we get a nice little, uh, we get a random cameo by uh, the musician, John, John Lurie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as the, as the, as the, as the heavy, the, 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 the guy. Hey, what are you doing in here? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was nice. I, was, I mean, I was like, that's John Lurie. I think doing in this movie. And then um, Nick Cave in the other movie. I mean, Dim Vendors must has really has yeah. a, some nice connections, I guess. <laughs> well, I realized a little. This is a little off topic, but I I realized I was like, oh, I've actually seen a fourth Dim Vendors film uh, because I've seen Buena Vista Social Club, his his documentary that he did along with a ride with Ride Cooter. Have you ever seen Buena Vista Social I Club? I haven't. About- uh, it's about the Cuban. It's about a. It's about Ry Cooter sort of discovering these Cuban musicians and reintroducing them to a wider audience, like sort of like giving them, putting on a concert for them. Uh, Ibrahim Ferrer is one of the bigger names that came out of that film. It was a huge. The soundtrack was a huge hit. It was like one of the biggest like albums of the year, and 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 Vim Vendors teamed up with Ry Cooter again to make a documentary about the making of that, of that concert. And it's really, really good. Well, that's great. I'm going to put that on the list. Now, is there anything that really happens between the first and second meeting with Jane? Anything between, I think we get the, well, I think the big thing that happens is Harry Dean Stanton kind of has to make a, he makes a conscious decision to essentially leave hunter and 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 basically like turn him over to 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 jane yeah At that point, he basically has made his decision where he's like we've we've learned some things about he won't he won't he hasn't said really explicitly what has happened or like why why he abandoned them but he also talks a little bit about he tells hunter this really interesting story about like how he talks about, I guess he talks about his like inner demons and how he can't he he like had issues with like anger. There's that scene where he's in that like weird like almost like a basement looking place where like Hunter like crashes on a couch. Mm-hmm. And so he finally makes the decision to um go back. To, he basically he leaves Hunter at the hotel. He decides to go back to the peep show and he revisits Jane. Now he's a little bit more open about who he is, but we get this amazing, it's, it's, it's almost like, I think two un- uninterrupted long takes. Yeah. One from his angle, one from her angle. Yeah. Really. Um, I mean, this is Shepard all over, mm-hmm. right? This right. is a calling mm-hmm. his calling card, but yeah. So a really long monologue from Harry Dean Stanton and then um, from Natasha Kinski. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he leaves, I think, before she finishes. But um, yeah, so we get we get a, little, a few more pieces of the picture in there. Right. 
monologuing. I like her face as he's talking. You know, at first she's sort of, you know, just, I mean, why would she <laughs> think that she has that, Travis, she has that, she has that customer service face for it, a good chunk where she's just thinks she's working with, she's just dealing with a, with a regular client. Yeah. And but, then she slowly that, that moment of realization just washes over her and it's really interesting to watch. Yeah. She does so amazing. Um, Cause I looked at the monologue again and I'm just amazed how she brought it to life. She was just mm-hmm. great. Now the actors, there's a 34 year age difference between the actors. And right. he says, Travis, the character says that there is a very large age gap between Jane mm-hmm. and Travis and that, you know, maybe she was too young to have this baby mm-hmm. and she has, uh, she had postpartum depression and, you know, she wanted to go back out and party because that's how they met. They were, they partied together. They always mm-hmm. had these crazy adventures together. And then she got pregnant. And of course that sort of put the kibosh on that. And right. then, but she was so young. I mean, I'm imagining she was 20 or 21, I think, you know, when Hunter was born. Yeah. And to be fair, like they, they do put on a good, a good face when they, like you see those, those home movies that Dean Stockwell has of their like beach trip together. And they seem like a, the perfect ideal, the ideal, happy, happy couple with, with, with their kid. Yeah. Which whenever you see home movies, that's always like the impression you want to give in those where it's like, everything's great. Nothing's wrong. And then obviously once, once Travis tells that story, you're like, oh, wow, there was a lot going on. Yeah, there was a lot of darkness. He descended into alcoholism. He was very, um, not just jealous, but like jealous to the point where he didn't want her to go out at all. So he would like restrict her movements and keep her at home. Yeah, it just descended sort of into this insane um, Mm -hmm. situation. Right. So he left. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. and 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 he leaves again at the end of this film he uh, basically he he is whether or not you would see i I don't know if people i'm I'm sure it's up for debate whether or not people agree with the decision he makes whether or not it's 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 a cowardly or selfish decision or if it's he's acting in in the interest of his wife and child and also we're not you know you have to take into account you know, Dean Stockwell and his wife don't really have any say in the matter, despite the fact that they've raised him for four years. It it leaves a lot up for, there's a lot of amb- ambiguity once the film ends, like what's going to happen next. Does, does Jane take Hunter and do they go to LA and, 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 and meet back up because you, because she did, you know, wire money to yeah. Walt and Anne for, for many years. That's true. I hadn't considered that possibility, but I'd like, I, I'd, I'd, I'd I would like love, think, I would love that. Yeah. I would like to think that, 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 that Jane would realize that, that, you know, Walt and Anne were a very important part of, of Hunter's life and they need to kind of stay in there. As far as what happens to Travis, it's, it's even more ambiguous because he literally kind of gets back in his car and drives away. I really hate this trope. I have to say mm-hmm. this trope of the lone wolf um, man, right. you know, he just can't, he just can't, you know, get along with yeah. other people. He's just too. I'm a rambling man. I got to ramble. <laughs> I mean, 
I don't think you're meant to. There, there's there's definitely aspects of of Travis's character that you sympathize with, but at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think I agree with his decisions. Nor do I really think he's. It is it is kind of a. a it does seem like like the coward's way out to be like, well, I'm just going to screw it up again, so I better just bounce. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like, yeah, he just sort of has like a shallow emotional well. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but he he's not real deep in terms of connecting with other people. He can to a certain point, and then he reaches his limit, and that's it. It's just too much. It's right when he was talking about the early days with. Jane, I mean, it was like they were like on fire, you know, it was just mm-hmm. like so much passion and so yeah. much adventure, and it was too much. I mean, it yeah. couldn't sustain somebody was gonna get burnt. And yeah. so um he yeah, I mean, I I don't know, I don't have sympathy for him, but I guess you could make the case that he's doing the right thing if he's just that quote dangerous to mm-hmm. be around. It's it's that it's that hyper masculine like i don't need therapy it's just i'm a i'm it's 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 that mentality that that it's it it's 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 a it's a toxic mass masculinity trait it is yeah and that's very sam shepherdy like you're not mm-hmm. saying sam shepherd is a toxic man but he he does he writes he, those kinds of characters yeah absolutely so um he he knows probably wherever he speaks but um I'm not into it, but I, I don't know. I So it's sort of sad to me when, when we mm-hmm. see him leave. But then on the other hand, seeing the joy that Jane displays, seeing mm-hmm. Hunter is really, um, yeah, I think I got a little choked up. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely a bittersweet ending, but I love it. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just a, it's, it's a really great film. It's really great just to see, it's a snapshot of a very specific place in time in America by a foreign director. It's, it's really, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see a, a distinctly American film come out of like German and French production. Yeah, I agree. And, and um, I think Sam Shepard is a great American writer mm-hmm. um, and he loves writing about the West and using, like you said, the, the road trip um, as a, as a way to show how the people are, how, how the individuals are relating to each other, but also it's a great opportunity to just shoot a bunch of um, film and just show the beauty right. that is the U S. So, yeah, it just looks gorgeous. And it's also a wonderful, it was really great. He had never, uh, Harry Dean Stanton had never really gotten a leading role until this film he had played he had been in so many other films he was such a a a great like stock actor who had just contributed to so many amazing films and 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 only vim vendors was willing to be like this this guy can star in a movie and 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 stanton has said it was the part he, he finally got the part he wanted to play yeah i love it when people take a chance on somebody like that that's really Mm -hmm. um because we all benefited from that decision So did you find any trivia that was fun and interesting? Um, I learned something. I learned something doing my own uh, research after I watched this film. Because uh, I because I, I saw the name Kate Altman in the credits as the art director. And I was like, Kate 
Altman? Is she related to Robert Altman? The answer is no. Okay. But but it is unusual in that this movie was the only film she ever did art direction on. She said it was a great experience, but for some for, for whatever reason, it never ended up leading to anything else. But now she runs a needlepoint store in Long Island. <laughs> well, good for her. So 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 good on good on Kate. Yeah, yeah, you art directed the hell out of this film. Good job. Yeah. And I wish you all the best at your at your needlepoint store. I will try to swing <laughs> by and see you next time I'm up in Long in, in Long Island. Oh, that would be so cool, Devin, if you did. Um also I this movie has uh the the two male leads have a strong connection to David Lynch. Um Harry Dean Stanton yes. Harry Dean Stanton is in he's he's in he has a recurring role in Twin Peaks not in the original series but he shows up his character was his he he runs a trailer park in Fire Walk with Me and then David Lynch brought him back to be uh, a crucial character in the return the Twin Peaks return he's also done the straight story he did Inland Empire Dean Stockwell famously was in Blue Velvet um, but apparently N- 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 Natasha Kinski was also in Inland Empire, which I have not seen in a very long time, but I might need to give that one a rewatch. I think it's getting a Criterion release sometime this year. I'm not familiar with that title. Inland Empire was his digital film. He shot that entirely uh, digitally starring Laura Dern. It's a weird and it's it's weird even by Lynch standards. <laughs> it's it's I remember I, I watched it once and I was like, this is borderline impenetrable but it's lynch i'm willing to give it a second shot okay yeah cool yeah um it's just fun to see dean stockwell i don't really feel Mm -hmm. like i think he's kind of underrated i mean obviously he had a run on quantum leap that's how i knew him the best yeah but as a a kid that's the only thing i'd ever known him for until i saw blue velvet and i was like what the hell is dean (gasps) stockwell doing in this movie i wouldn't what a a trooper i mean what a good sport i just Mm -hmm. you know he seems very game and i think you know he he's sort of his second fiddle i guess to harry dean stanton but i mean he does great i mean yeah his brother (laughs) would um you know definitely take a lot of compassion um, and patience mm-hmm. um, but yet it would be just so infuriatingly confusing at the same time and i think he shows all of that right i would also be remiss my mom would would, would chew me up if i didn't mention that he is also tony the tiger russo and married to the mob the jonathan oh, demi yeah. comedy one of my mom's favorite films which i have not seen in a long time i need to give give that one another watch too me too i remember oh, like yeah, I was a Demi fangirl at the back in the days. Okay, well, it's time for our next segment. I don't know if there is destiny, but there is a decision. And that is a quote from Wings of Desire, which was directed and written by Vim Benders, also written by Peter Hankey, Richard Reitiger, and starring Bruno Gantz, Solveig Delmartin, Otto Sonder, Kurt Watt, and Peter Falk. Special guest appearance by Peter Falk. I loved him so much. Okay, so this is a movie that involves a Berlin that is still divided. Mm -hmm. It it involves two angels um, who observe humans. They, (laughs) it's kind of hard to describe this movie. Okay, so they 
stand on this tall pole and they look down upon Berlin. And what's cool about it is, unlike the humans, they can see both sides. They can see the east and west sides of Berlin. What maybe is not so cool is they can only see in black and white, which I, I remember, think is a cool idea. Yeah. So I so I saw Wings of Desire before for film class. I don't remember. It was, I think this was in the, the context of the class. This might have been the... I took a I took a class just in there were there were a bunch of like entry level film classes you had to take to get to like the 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 real meat and potatoes type stuff. And so I believe Wings of Desire was just thrown in as the as, as in like as just a generic like introduction to international film class mm-hmm. and for like it's German time what are, what are we going to watch? So we watched Wings of Desire and and I'd I believe my only I knew going in that oh this is this is what city of angels yes uh was 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 based on that a movie i've never seen but i did i weirdly enough i'd never seen it but i owned the soundtrack <laughs> cuz i love that oh. goo, as i love that goo goo doll song when i was a kid yeah so i owned i owned a soundtrack for a movie i, I had never seen and probably will never see <laughs> well strangely i don't know why but this movie has come up on the Maiden podcast, and mm-hmm. Mac was amused slash horrified to learn that Nicolas Cage played an angel. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I've never seen it either. Um, but I would, I could be talked into mm-hmm. it. I think maybe it 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 seems like one of those films where because wings of desire gets labeled a romantic fantasy film and i would argue the romance it takes up very little of this movie yes i agree whereas it appears that city of angels goes all in on on the romance it is nicholas cage meg meg ryan and that's what the movie's about for wings of desire it takes us a very it takes us a very long time to get introduced to the female lead and even then you never really see her as the female lead of the film until we get to like the second half. I really feel like we have these three characters, the two angels and the woman Mm -hmm. um, and Peter Falk to a degree, but um, they're really individuals who are trying to find meaning in their life. Right. That's what I feel this movie is about. And also the thing that the thing that, I loved the first time I saw this film and the thing I loved even more the second, second time is that it does such a great job of easing you into this world of making you, it, it, it does a great job of establishing the rules of how these angels live and coexist in, 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 in this, in this real world without hitting you over the head with it. It's like, it, it, it shows you, once again, it's like any other movie would 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 lay it on thick for an audience. Like they're not going to get it. They're not going to get that angels can't. They're not going to get that angels can't interact. They're not going to get that angels can't see in 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 color. Yeah. We have to we have to explain it to them. Um, and we get this amazing. And instead, Winders doesn't hold your hand. You get to see to the point where it's like. You see them with wings exactly once, and then they just wear those big coats for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a great, it's like, it's, the movie is such a good, does such a great job with costume design where it's like, you can tell, you can tell who's an angel in this world just by costume and body language. Um, yeah. There's that amazing shot where they're, 
wandering through a library and only the other angels like look up and acknowledge them. Yeah. Which is, which is really great. I also love the idea that angels can't interact with physical objects. And so of course they would want to learn about human history. So of course they're going to hang out at a library and look over everyone's shoulders because that's the only way they can turn pages is for someone to do it for them. Yeah, exactly. Which is such a, which is such a great concept. And the sound design is amazing because you can just, hear everyone's inner thoughts we spend a good 45 minutes just listening to the inner thoughts of everybody in 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 berlin yeah and and yeah that sets up this idea that they can't really affect the physical world they're just there really to observe they have notebooks they make notes in little notebooks and yeah stuff. they share they, <laughs> they share notes about like the weird stuff that they've seen that the interesting you unique interactions that they've had children are more perceptive of them yeah children are more aware that they're that they're around and that's established right away where mm-hmm. a child stops in the middle of the street and looks up that's right there's the angels um that's right. on the top of this pole or statue or wherever they are yeah i i do love the um library aspect and that there are so many angels i mean that's also mm-hmm. pretty pretty great that there are a bunch of them although there is a there is a a line at one point where there aren't that many of us like mm-hmm. there's so many people and just not that many angels what happens is that one of the angels damiel falls in love with a human and mm-hmm. her name is marion a trapeze artist yeah She's um, and when we first see her, she's wearing wings. Yes, um, that's right. <laughs> so she's a trapeze artist, and she's practicing. Um, and the circus is in trouble. Tonight's going to be the last performance, mm-hmm. and this is really upsetting to her because she's always wanted to be in the circus, and now I guess she's going to have to find something else because right. circus is shutting down. Yep. And she does what any she she does what I would do in a situation like like that. She mopes in her trailer and puts on a Nick Cave album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big. That's a big mood. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, at the same time, we get uh, Peter Falk, who um, it, he arrives to make a film, um, and well, Falk has a com- not conversation, but he can sense. Um, Damiel, who's Bruno Gantz, and he says, I can't see you, but I know you're there. And um, so that's a little different because most, you know, adults can't see angels or even sense them. So, uh, but we find out the reason why is that Falk was an angel. We should also point out he is playing himself. He's not playing a character. He's playing himself, which is such a, 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 it's such an unusual, I, I, I put in my notes that like Peter Falk playing himself in this film is at one end of, of, of the spectrum. And then John Malkovich playing himself and being John Malkovich <laughs> at the, is at the polar opposite end where it's like, this is a, here's a movie where like, here's a, here's a director who basically wrote a part for a specific actor to play a specific version of that actor. And, and Peter Falk gets to do so many unusual, interesting things. He's, he's there in Germany filming a a a movie about World War II, about Berlin coming to grips with its Nazi past, which is one of the big takeaways of this film. It deals with it's like 
the the the, the harsh realities of war and 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 a a a city coming to terms with its past. And we get this we get these amazing shots of like actors in SS uh, SS uniforms like having lunch with like the 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 Jewish cast in the film. And yeah. Peter Falk wants to like sketch this old lady, this one one of, one of the extras. Yeah. Um, and also it's such an unusual because like like many other people, when I saw this film, I only knew Peter Falk as Columbo. That was my only knowledge of of him. I hadn't really seen him in anything else. Now, most recently i I watched uh Mikey and Nikki, the mm-hmm. Elaine May film he did with John Cassavetes, which was really, really good. He plays a very different kind of character in that film. Um but there's just something comforting about seeing him in the, in this movie. It's something for an American audience to latch onto. Also, if you're if you're not if you're not the most receptive to foreign films, yeah. having having him show up kind of gives you a nice little like, oh, well, he's here. It must be. <laughs> yeah, and oh. there's that great um, scene where I don't know, like mid twenties age, you know, Berliners. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, Columbo, Columbo, and they're like, yeah. is it really him? What would he be doing wandering in a, in, a, <laughs> in a vacant lot in Berlin? <laughs> but I also like it that he's wearing a trench coat. He's wearing a trench coat. Yeah, that's like uh, an emblematic of Columbo, but also the angels. So mm-hmm. that all fits yeah. together. Um, and I, I, I think he he did draw. He himself did draw. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a cool um, little detail. Um, so yeah, I actually use that clip where he's talking to Daniel, um, in one of my classes, um, but it's neither here nor there, but anyway, so Daniel, one of the angels is tired, tired of being an angel. He wants to connect. He's, he's only been doing it for an eternity. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like I get it. Um, so he, he, he wants to become human. He wants to sort of renounce his angelhood. So it's not that, I mean, it's two things. I mean, he is in love. He's falling in love with Mary and um, that's very important, but that's not mm-hmm. the only thing that's happened. That's not the whole story. He also just mm-hmm. doesn't want to be an angel anymore. Right. He wants to interact. He wants to, he wants to do all the things that he's only written about. He wants to know what, 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 what an apple tastes like. He wants yeah. to know what, he wants to hear things. I, I guess they can't hear sounds. Um, I, I, maybe they, I think I get the impression that everything is muted, you mm-hmm. know, just like they can see things. It's just that they're in black and white. Right. Um, I don't think they wants to eat. He wants to taste stuff. Yeah. There's, there's so many, there's so many foods he wants to consume. Yeah. And um, the other angel Cassiel is, is so, well, I mean, both of them, but, you know, he barely has any expression on his face at all, mm-hmm. ever, you know, um, they don't, they don't really experience deep emotions as mm-hmm. angels. Um, so Damiel wants all of that. And um, the, the section of the movie where Damiel does become human. Oh, it's so enjoyable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really great. And once again, once again, I love that the movie doesn't make a big deal out of like, there's no like weird, like special effects laden, like transformation shot. It's just like, we're now in color and he's on the ground. That's pretty much all we get to. That's the only real transition that happens. He, 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 he wakes up looking he's, like, 
he looks like he looks like he's he's had one one too many and these kids are basically poking him with a stick are you okay mister <laughs> his head is bleeding but he's delighted by yes. that because he looks at the blood and he's like this must be red you, this must be the yeah he's color i've heard this, about yeah <laughs> and exactly. he has an interaction with somebody where he's just like the guy's helping him to identify colors and mm-hmm. i love that that guy isn't like fuck he's, off weirdo yeah he, yeah he he's very him. generous with his, with his time it's really nice <laughs> yeah it's really so cool um and so this he, film does this film does a really great job of you which i which i would imagine is was the goal of this film like you watch this film and you feel more optimistic about humanity <laughs> definitely yeah. you're yeah. like well maybe everything will be okay yeah which was hard to come by, which was hard to come by during the Berlin Wall years. Hard. Oh, absolutely. It was, hard, it was hard to feel that way about anything. And this was right on the cusp. The Wall came down in 89, if I'm not mistaken. And mm-hmm. this movie was filmed in 87 or was released mm-hmm. in 87. Right. So, um, and there was a sequel, as we were talking about before, filmed after the Wall came mm-hmm. down, but with the same characters. Um, there is a scene with Cassiel um, where he, of course, is unable to stop a young man from um, jumping off a mm-hmm. building and killing himself. And he he's, he sort of turns away um, as if he's sad. But, of course, he's not really that sad because he doesn't experience sadness. But it's a, a feeling of being helpless, you mm-hmm. know, to, 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 to interfere, to intervene, I guess. Um, and that's kind of an interesting portrayal of angels because sometimes just, you know, the folklore or whatever around angels is that they do intervene mm-hmm. in human affairs. But according to the world of this movie, they don't, they can't. So Falk um, actually reaches out to Cassiel like he did mm-hmm. to Damiel. Cassiel's not interested. No, no. I also really love the, um, I love the, uh, the, the running gag of, of people like food vendors looking at Peter Falk weird because he's talking to nothing. He's talking yeah. to thin air. He's like, what a, what an eccentric Hollywood actor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's my, they must be that. They must be that kind of, that's, I guess that's the kind of weirdo that comes out of America. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Oh. <laughs> um, so at the very end of the movie, we get um, Marion's speech. Well, actually before that, she has a dream and um, Damiel visits her in her dream. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a cool idea that he's able mm-hmm. to make contact with her. Um, but it has to be in the dream space. Right. Um, of course, she remembers it. It's vivid enough that, you know, makes an impression. She remembers it. But she makes the speech um, to him in the in the bar and it is kind of romantic but it's also very reminiscent of john paul sartre's thesis that even though life is random Mm -hmm. and she says that like why am i me and not you and why do i have green eyes and not blue eyes like you know Mm -hmm. all this could have been different um so even though we live in this random universe we do have the possibility to determine 
how our life goes from this Mm -hmm. point forward. And in doing that, we are making a decision not for ourselves, but for, you know, all of humanity. It's a pretty wacko, wackadoo idea when you first look at Mm -hmm. it. But but, um, she says, I don't know if there's destiny, but there's a decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Decide. We are now the times. Not only the whole town, the whole world is taking part in our decision. Mm -hmm. We too are now more than us too. We incarnate something. We're representing the people now. So this Sartrean idea that, you know, you're very responsible. You have to be responsible with the decisions you make because Mm -hmm. they will affect, you know, all the rest of humanity. You just sort of have to take that into account when you, which is, that can be kind of overwhelming and that's a whole other thing, but um, she's into it. She's like, okay, let's do this. Like, I re- yeah, I didn't realize going to a Nick Cave concert made people so philosophical. <laughs> I know she, <laughs> she's pretty sad. I mean, she's pretty broken up about the circus and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But having this idea that, you know, she can determine her own life going forward, I think was very exciting for her mm-hmm. character. Yeah. So, yeah. And he's just smiling at her the whole time. He's just like falling deeper she, and deeper she, in love with her. She's lucky that he's the right person to talk to about the, like she's, she's, I feel like, I feel like she, she is very certain that this is the guy that she's been like seeing in her dreams that she's like sensed in her trailer. She was like listening to records and stuff because if it wasn't (laughs) any other guy would be freaked out. Absolutely. This this woman who is who's monologued similar to Paris, Texas. We get a a nice juicy monologue at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. You're absolutely right. Um, (laughs) I do want to say, I do want to say really quickly, I do love that we even get an inner voice with Nick Cave and it's a great, I want to say, I really loved, uh, we get, we get the inner, we get the inner monologue from Nick Cave too, when he's like about to go on stage and do another song. He's like, you hear in his head, like, I'm I'm not going to talk about a girl. I'm not going to talk, talk about a girl. And he goes (laughs) to the audience. I want to tell you about a girl. This is also this is also not to go on a Nick Cave tangent. This is my second time seeing him. The guy looks tailor made to be in a movie, and 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 he is he has multiple times. He in in addition to this film, he did the score for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, and he appears in the film playing this like raconteur who sings a song. He sings a song. <laughs> Have you ever seen the assassination of Jesse? Yeah. James? Yeah. There's an amazing scene where Nick Cave is just singing in a bar about how shitty <laughs> Robert Ford is with Casey Affleck in the, in the bar. He's like, Oh, that damn coward. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's such a great scene. Uh, but Nick Cave does an amazing job in this film. There's yeah. another band. There's, there, there, there's two bands in this movie. Yeah. Let's Vim Vendors knows his shit when it comes to music. Like he loves yeah. to put he loves to put music in he loves to put his favorite bands in in his films. Yeah, that's pretty pretty great. So that's that's it for Wings of Desire. Um over the closing credits we get a note dedicated to all the former angels, but especially mm-hmm. to Yasujiro, Francois, and Andre. Mm-hmm. And those are filmmakers Yasujiro Ozu. 
Francois mm-hmm. Truffaut and Andre Tarkovsky. And I can so, definitely, I can definitely see the Ozu and the Tarkovsky influence, and I guess the the Truffaut as well. Although I, I will admit, Truffaut is a director I've only seen a couple films by, and they've been years ago. Yeah, I, I really like that. I don't know, that's just sweet. <laughs> it is very sweet. Oh, I just speaking of Tarkovsky, I just rewatched Stalker not too long ago. Um, and you can definitely see the influence a film like that have has on on a film like Wings of Desire. It's very detached. It has that very like dreamlike quality to it. It create it's 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 all about like surreal world building. Mm. It's a film that operates under its own set of rules. Mm, that's cool. All right. Well, also I thought this was kind of a cool fun fact about um, Wings of Desire. All of the black and white sequences were shot through a one of a kind filter made from a stocking oh, a stocking really? that belonged to cinematographer Henri Alecon's grandmother. Wow, that's interesting. Pretty weird. Cool. Uh, um, I like that this movie... I, I had a sneaking suspicion, because I, I even put put it in my notes, but I wrote, I wrote, was the REM video for Everybody Hurts inspired by this film? And it turns out, yes, it was. Yeah. Which, um. It, if if no one if if you haven't seen the Everybody Hurts video, it is similar in terms of like it shows a a traffic jam and you see everyone's inner thoughts projected as sub subtitles at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. I like it that it has such reach. It's like affected so mm-hmm. many other artists. This movie, this movie was a very yeah. This movie, a lot of filmmakers have used the stylistic elements of this film it has a lot of like it has it has a lot of really great like symbolism that i think a lot of other directors uh borrow from um i also forgot i was like i was like what else has bruno gans been in and then i realized oh the man's a meme he was hitler in in downfall yeah. so yeah. that and that famous like final a famous scene that everybody has it was was redone over and over again uh, on YouTube. That was his. Up until then, Wings of Desire was his best best known role, and then down downfall. <laughs> Trump that. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got such a beautiful face to me, mm-hmm. and he's a very expressive. Yeah, he's great, great actor. Yeah. yeah, he does a really great job. I need to see the American Friend again because I remember I, I don't remember much about it, but I remember being impressed with his uh, performance in that. Yeah. Well, he and um, Otto Sander or Otto Sander, I don't know, (laughs) show up Mm -hmm. again in the sequel along with our friend, Peter Falk. Have you seen the sequel? I have, you know, I have once. I don't remember it at all. I didn't even know it existed. It sounds wild to me that it's like, it's got Willem Dafoe in it. Yeah. He's a, well, I watched the trailer right before we got on and it uh-huh. said a story of angels and they show the angels and devils. Mm-hmm. And then they show Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I guess he's a nice. demon. Um, oh my God. It sounds amazing. Yeah. So I will see if it's available. Around- Mi- Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev is in this film. Yes. As himself. Lou Reed is in this movie. Yeah. Lou what Reed, the and then also Laurie this? Anderson was credited somewhere on the. I don't know. Yeah, um, God, that's this sounds nuts. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come back and talk about that one. Yeah, but at around an hour and twenty nine, I can't remember how long this movie is, but at around an hour twenty nine, the graffiti behind the food cart where Peter Falk reads the angel reads, "Ver bunker 
Baut wirft Bomben, which mm-hmm. translates to those who build bunkers throw bombs. And it does sort of end on this sad but hopeful note, I think. And it's kind of cool to watch it in retrospect, knowing that the wall was just about to fall mm-hmm. when the movie came yeah. out. Well, we get this amazing when when uh, when Bruno Gans becomes human, we get this great shot of suddenly all the graffiti on the wall is in bright color. Yeah. And it, it, it is a stark contrast towards the, 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 the bleak, depressing black and white of the city. Yeah. yeah so this is one of those movies that I, I, it, it, it felt like work having to watch it for film school, but if you watch <laughs> it on your, if you watch it on your own terms, you are going to be in for a treat because it is a, it's, 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 it's simultaneously a very relaxing, like it, it is a movie that's all vibes. <laughs> it's a very all vibes film. And then once, once it, once it lulls you into its, <laughs> into its world, then it starts giving you the big ideas. Then it starts doling out the the harsh truths about, about fate and, and your role and your role in, in determining your life. Yeah. And being great grateful for what you have. Uh Peter Falk does a really great job of being a character who's like he's like when when it's revealed that he too was an angel, you get the feeling like, oh, okay, he made the most of 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 his life. Like when he when he decided to become human, he was then like, I'll get into acting and I'll become I'll become a I'll I'll become Columbo. It's gonna be great. Yeah, 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 for sure. And just how sweet he is to um Damiel. You know, mm-hmm. who's like pretty clueless about being a human. Yeah. You would, you would like, think he'd know more by this point, but <laughs> you got it. You got a bad deal for your armor. <laughs> yeah, you, you made your first. You already made your first mistake. Yeah, you, you, you got, you got, you got cheated, buddy. But he, but I, he, like, just, just do it. Like, just live. Yeah. Just you know, mm-hmm. fuck yeah. up. It's okay. You know, but just, just do it. It's all for you. You know, this is your life, and wow, it's really cool. I have a, I have a question, and if, if, if. If it takes us too long to kind of think of an answer to this, then it's totally fine if you want to edit it out. But if you were to remake Wings of Desire now, mm. still, still, still set in 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 Germany, who could play the Peter Falk role that would make sense? Oh my gosh! Because you need somebody who's recognized in Germany. Yeah, and it's like you couldn't pick somebody who's like two on the nose you could make like, like like you wouldn't i don't know if you'd be able to do like a tom hanks you could do tom maybe. you could do maybe tom hanks maybe tom hanks it's like universally beloved rec- recognizable in other countries could also cons- like believably be like oh this person could have been an angel before <laughs> well i think tilda swinton could be an alien I'm not sure if yeah. she could be an angel. Well, she was an angel. She was <laughs> in, uh, in oh, Constantine. Yes. She played the angel Gabriel in Constantine. She does an yeah. incredible job in that film. I don't know. So is she, but is she universally known? Yeah. yeah. Among among people who watch movies and pay attention to those things. Yeah, um, I see that. Yeah, I mean, is there a TV character? See, it's weird because TV is so different now than it was right. in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if there's like a TV actor who, you know, is Fockian. <laughs> people, yeah, it's weird because people, 
there, there's you, there. It's it's rare to find a universally known TV character like Columbo, like that that that, that transcends. Yeah, country. yeah. Like I'm watching this show on HBO called Hacks, and Gene Smart. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've not. I've I've seen the other HBO series that Gene Smart's in. I've seen Mayor of Easttown. And she's yeah, really she's yeah, she's really great in in both, but. And Hacks, she plays a sort of like Phyllis Diller, like, I don't know, like legendary female comedian who's like in her 70s, you know, who's been around all this time. And a character like that would be probably well known, but she would have the character have to like originate like in the 60s or 70s, maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Not sure if it's possible anymore because everything is there's just so much content now. Yeah. Well, and I, and obviously the obvious, the, the, with, um, you couldn't remake this film in Germany, in Berlin now, because it's so, the movie is so dependent on the Berlin wall. It's so, it's so clearly like meant to be a product of its time or it's like, it's showing, it's showing you like the current conflict. It's showing you a country grappling with its past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting thought experiment though. Yeah. (laughs) Um, any so, final thoughts on vendors? Vendors, I and he's a director that I definitely, even, even though I've seen four of his films, it still feels like I've just scratched the surface. I, I, I want to delve into more. I need to re rewatch The American Friend. He's done a couple more American films, if I'm not mistaken. Want to see more of his documentaries. He did a doc documentary about Ozu called to- Tokyo Ga. Oh, wow. Um, he did. Um, what's another one that I really don't know. There's a few more titles. There's, a, there's, there's, there's a few more, there's a few more on the criterion collection. There's, I think until the end of the world, I believe is available as a criterion film. So maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just go on another criterion channel, uh, uh, journey. Oh, wow. They have a lot of Wim, Wim Wenders films. They got wrong move. They've got Kings of the road until the end of the world. They have one of us, a social club. Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess I do need to, I need to go ahead and delve into it. Yeah, me too. I think that would be fun because he, he does a lot. Like you said, it is a mood. I think both the ones that Mm -hmm. we talked about today are very moody Mm -hmm. and I don't know, it's just so much information that can be conveyed without dialogue. Well, and also both films are kind of two sides of the same coin. They're both, they both deal with like the existential, like lone loneliness of, of its characters. The only difference is Paris, Texas is about, you know, a fallible, a fallible man mm-hmm. deciding on a life of loneliness because he, he, he seems incapable of, of long relationships with the one, with the people that, he that he claims to love and meanwhile on the opposite end of things wings of desire is about a man who has only known loneliness for all of eternity finally deciding to take the risk and take the plunge yeah literally and figuratively (laughs) uh to 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 be with someone so it is very much the yin and yang of vendors's uh, filmography. Yeah, and I mean the thought of giving up immortality, you know, <laughs> knowing that you're going to die—that's mm-hmm. a pretty big sacrifice, I guess. On the other hand, I think I, I'd, I'd do that. 
you know, if I could see it's color worth, and it's, it's worth you it. Know? You can try it. You can try it. Try a taco for the first time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is worth. This is worth being being mortal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, good choices. This was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for su- suggesting it. Well, it was you that, that suggested Wings of Desire. And when it came time to pick a, a film to pair it up with, I was like, well, shit, let's just go all in on Wenders. We'll do Paris, Texas. Yeah, I think that was exactly the right choice. So yeah. we did it. Good job. <laughs> Good job, us. Oh, man. the I might have to get the I might have to get the Criterion Blu-ray of Wings of Desire because the commentary track is Wenders and Falk. Oh, yeah. That'd be fun just to listen to them too. just like do do commentary over the film. Yeah, I don't know when um, Peter died, but sort of like a, be careful what you go looking for on the Internet, because mm-hmm. um, he had dementia toward the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And I hate to think of him like that, but I don't know. Um, anyway, he did. OK, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably cut that out. Um, OK, I'm just going to do the uh, outro. Okay. Next time on the main episode, Mac and I will be discussing an international horror film and either it's American remake or a movie that relates thematically to it. Next time on the minisode, Quinn and I will be back to discuss vintage and vintage-ish movies that somehow relate to the movies on the main app. Thanks as always for your support and get in touch via Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or email. Until then, we have no sign off. <laughs>